Well, I want to just say hey to everybody. Uh, we had such a great Sunday last week with Easter. Wasn't it great? And then we had our 30th birthday as well on Friday. And by the way, Ron and Mikey Scott were here, and they've been married 64 years. So even, even the prongs have a way to go. Catch up to them. That's awesome. And I want to thank everybody who uh, not only participated in any way, but I know that uh, our staff, the elders, gave us some wonderful gift cards to a lot of restaurants, so Penny and I have a lot of date nights planned ahead. And thank you to everyone who wrote us a card or a note or a letter of some kind. Haven't read them yet, but that's on the agenda for today after church. So again, we appreciate that. So if you are married, then you may be feeling a little bit better about your marriage if you've been watching for the past week the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Are you aware of this thing? Wow. Um, I mean, this is a celebrity couple that had only been married for 15 months, and the horrible mess that their marriage was is being displayed for the world to see, the terrible way that they treated one another. I mean, it, it's gonna take, it took way more than a counselor to clean up that mess. It would take a whole sanitation department. Miserable. But maybe the, the hope is that you're feeling like, eh, you know, our marriage isn't so bad after all. Look at them. But imagine if your marriage were recorded on tape and shown for everybody, every interaction you'd had displayed for the world to see, right? So that's why it's important that we do marriage by the book because this book tells us how to treat one another better. God has a lot to say about that, and we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. And um, today we're going to focus specifically on the one another's of, of loving one another, remaining faithful to one another. And as we learn God's principles for relationships, we're going to have a happier, more stable, fulfilling home life. And I know you may not like everything that I'm going to say over the next few weeks, but it needs to be said if you're going to do marriage by the book. If you want to stay married, you've got to go by the book. If you're thinking of breaking the bond of your marriage, you need to get back to the book. Or at least remember the words of Henry Ford on his 50th anniversary when he was asked about the rule, the secret for a long and blissful marriage. He said, same as in the automobile business, stick to one model. That's what God would say. Now, if you are divorced, if you're widowed, I understand this is maybe going to be a difficult message for you, and I want to be sensitive to that. If you're single or you're single again, we're very glad that you're here. You may be planning on getting married. Well, then you need to go by the book as well. If you're planning on remaining single, which is a good thing, as the Apostle Paul said and Jesus demonstrated, you still need to go by the book because it tells us how to treat one another. Now, what do they say about the percentage of marriages that break up today? What it, how, what's the percentage? Yeah, it's, they usually say it's about half, right? 50% of marriages end in divorce. And I think that's a debatable statistic, but the truth is we all know a lot of marriages are crashing and burning these days. And even among Christians, divorce is pretty common and, and even rampant. And yet Scripture tells us in Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. And yet the number of people getting married is on the decline. More and more couples just live together before getting married or without getting married at all. Even among Christians today, that's becoming more of the norm. And i got to tell you, it's still just as wrong today as it's always been. In fact, living together first is actually a contributor to divorce. 
What does God say? Go back to the beginning, Genesis 2. God said it was not good for Adam to be alone. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Two become one. Society may approve of any combination of people and call that a marriage, but marriage is God's idea. It's his invention, and so it's up to him to define it. And God says marriage is one man and one woman together for life. And there's a purpose to that. He designed marriage to be where we can experience the fullest expression of love. It's more than just emotion. It's commitment. It's where sexual union takes place, where there's a, a bond made like no other. It's the best environment for raising children with a mother and a father committed to one another in the home. Two become one flesh, husband and wife for life, which rules out any other kind of romantic affections or attachments, including polygamy and concubines. Now, you'll read about those in the Old Testament. They were pretty common, but God never approved of them. It also rules out adultery, and mistresses, um, prostitution, pornography, having sexual relations before marriage, and homosexual relations. They, they're all condemned throughout Scripture because marriage is meant for a husband and a wife for life. It's always been that way. Now, Mark Twain, many years ago, got into a heated discussion with a friend who was a Mormon, who, of course, at that time were practicing polygamy. And after a while, the Mormon finally laid down his final argument. He says, prove to me, show me one place in Scripture where polygamy is prohibited. Mark Twain said, that's easy. No man can serve two masters. Boom, boom. Right? A little bit out of context. But Jesus' words about marriage are authoritative. Even though he was single, Jesus spoke about the permanence and purpose of marriage in Matthew 19. Pharisees came up to him and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Because back then, some people thought you could get divorced for any reason, which is not too different from today. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We just read that in Genesis. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, why? Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So fidelity reflects God's faithfulness. Why are we supposed to remain faithful to one another? Because God is faithful. But he does allow divorce in the case of unfaithfulness, of sexual infidelity. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't command it, he doesn't even recommend it, but he does allow it. And my understanding of this difficult passage is that if there has been no infidelity in a marriage, that the bond has not been broken. Even though you get a legal divorce, until that bond has been broken sexually in another marriage or any time outside of that divorce, 
really you're still married in God's sight. You still have that one flesh connection that's only broken upon the infidelity either before or after the divorce. Now the Apostle Paul later says that if you have not experienced that breaking of that one bond, one flesh bond, that you are either to remain unmarried for the rest of your life or reconcile with your spouse. Now, that's a tough teaching. But it was tough even back then. And again, it doesn't say you have to go through that. I mean, with God, all things are possible. If there's true repentance and forgiveness, there can still be restoration if infidelity has been involved. But Jesus goes on to talk more about the permanence of marriage in verses 10 through 12. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, well, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Okay, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Okay? So some choose to remain celibate. He's saying most people, though, are going to want to get married and do what married people do. And it's going to be very difficult for most to go through life and not experience that. So you better think very long and seriously about divorce because you're probably not going to be able to remain single, which is probably going to lead you to becoming an adulterer. Now, I rarely perform weddings here because we take them very seriously. You have to go through premarital counseling. And whenever I, I uh, meet with a couple, I will ask, where do you see yourself five years from now, ten years from now? And never once have I had a couple say, well, we see ourselves getting divorced. Uh, we see ourselves splitting up and having custody battles over who gets the kids. And we see ourselves losing our friends and going broke paying for lawyers. Never once have I heard that. Nobody plans for it. Divorce is rarely something that, you know, you wake up one morning thinking, well, I'm going to get divorced. It's something that creeps up on you over time, over days and weeks and months and years of unresolved problems and irritations, poor communication, money problems, accumulated resentments and addictive and illicit behaviors. And these things can loom so large that they cause a couple to say, there's no way we can have a happy ending. When marriage is in such a crisis like that, a sense of helplessness, hopelessness begins to drive them, compel them into the, going to divorce court because they see no other way out. They see no answer, but there is an answer. When you're both committed to work through your problems, the marriage can actually be stronger than ever. If you both are going to commit to that, now, in the last book of the Old Testament, the people of Judah in the southern kingdom of Israel were coming under a lot of condemnation from God, a lot of rejection because they were messing up on a whole bunch of fronts. But one of the reasons had to do with marriage. They said, why are we being rejected? Malachi 2 says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now, that passage speaks, yes, more to the man than to the woman. Why? Well, because men were typically the ones to initiate a divorce. It didn't really make any sense for women to pursue divorce way back then when it would be financially and socially almost impossible to survive. 
But today, of course, a little different. Men and women can both initiate divorce proceedings. But notice Malachi says marriage is a covenant. It's not just a legal contract between two people because in a contract, if one breaks the terms, then you can walk away from the contract. But in a covenant, you're involving a third party. God is involved and you made a vow not only to your spouse but to him to do what you could to make it work, to stay with the person you're married to even when it's difficult, even when you don't feel like it, even when they're not measuring up to what you think they ought to be, to say, I will still love you, I will still stay with you. But that's not always the policy these days, is it? Years ago, on a farm, fire burned up the barn. And so the wife called the insurance company and spoke with one of the company officials and said, you know, our barn burned down. Would you go ahead and, and send us a check for the money? And uh, the agent said, well, ma'am, we don't send you the check. We replace the barn. She said, well, can I cancel the policy I have on my husband then? <laughs> that may be our policy. Like, things aren't working out so well. I think maybe I'll replace the person I'm with. God's policy is that you stay with the wife or the husband of your youth, even if you're not so youthful anymore, right? Penny and I were pretty young when we got married. In fact, in two weeks, we're celebrating our 37th anniversary. We've been together for 40 years. Um, but, you know, you're not so young anymore. And sometimes you no longer recognize the woman or the man that you're with. You're like, she is not the same woman that I married. He has changed. Oh, really? You think so? Of course we're different. We all change, but that's not grounds for divorce. Malachi goes on to say, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Well, godly offspring, children. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, Covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. He does violence, injustice, wrong to the one he was supposed to protect. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God hates divorce. That's what the passage is talking about. There are a number of divorced people right here in this congregation. God doesn't hate you. You understand that. God hates divorce because he loves people. And if you've been through divorce, you know the damage and the hurt that it causes the regrets it leaves behind. God doesn't want that for you. And so, I don't know, maybe you've tried to work through your problems and stay married, but, you know, he walked out on you, or you were just young and dumb, and, and it quickly fell apart. Maybe you wanted to try and make it work with her, but she is just, like, next to impossible to live with. And so you went through all the pain, all the embarrassment, but don't wonder if God still loves you. He does, and he still has a plan for your life. The plan has changed a little bit, but God still wants to walk with you through this. Our big idea is that God can help you keep your covenant vow and become a better spouse. Now, when I talk to couples who want to get married, I always cover the three fundamentals of a Christian marriage, which I, I read about many years ago, a survey from Dr. James Dobson of couples who had been married 50 years. Here are the three things they said that keep them together. First is a Christ-centered 
home. They said Christ was the key factor in their marriage because he provided a special oneness and a spiritual compatibility that got them through. Because look, if you are not spiritually compatible, you have a major built-in obstacle to your oneness. Spiritual compatibility in Christ keeps you together because without him you don't share the same direction, the same purpose, the same values. With Christ, you have unity in those things. And so it's never a good idea to pursue a romantic relationship with somebody who's not a fellow believer. It's not even wise to date somebody who's not at the same place spiritually as you are in your walk with Christ, where there's that incompatibility. And make sure that there are no major theological differences that will cause division in your home. You need a united home especially as you want to raise children together. So avoid spiritually mixed marriages. Now, if you're already in one, Scripture says stay in it, absolutely, and be the best, loving, most faithful spouse you can be, and hopefully by your behavior, you can win your spouse to Christ. But anytime I meet with a couple, I take them through the triangle, and I've, if you've been here for a while, you've seen me do this before. Let me put it, I always put this on the whiteboard. I put... Marriage is like a triangle. God's at the top. The husband and the wife are at the base. And the closer you both grow to God, the closer you grow to one another, right? Less, less space between you both. But if there's an incompatibility, whether the wife is growing closer to God or the husband is growing closer to God, there's still a gap. There's still a distance because you're not at the same place spiritually. So what do you do? You've got to nurture the spiritual. You've got to develop those basic spiritual habits so you can both keep growing closer to God. These are just the basics. These are foundational things like, are you praying daily with or for one another? Are you attending worship together weekly? Are you reading your Bible? Because the Bible tells you how to have a better marriage by being a better person. It shields you from harmful and destructive behaviors that would tear you apart. It provides prescriptions for living together in harmony. Surround yourself with godly people who can support you and even mentor for you. Find a good group, couples group even. I'm starting a couples group this week. And it's already full, but find one on your own. or Let us help you start a couples group. We're also working on having some uh, marriage mentors, some couples who can help you through these things. But what are you doing right now on your own and together to build your spiritual lives, to make Christ the center of your home? But it always begins with you making Christ the center of your life first. And so that comes down to the second fundamental of a Christian marriage, and that's committed love. Committed love different than just love. Way back in the day, there was a number one Grammy award-winning song sung by a married couple, cute as buttons, the Captain and Tennille. Love will keep us together. It didn't. They divorced. I mean, look at the decades of love songs and you will find a trail of dysfunction and disintegration and divorce. And I'm sure those couples all felt love at the time, but love isn't enough. Say it again. Love isn't enough. 
It has to be more than emotion. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to love your spouse, but it sure does help. Because as a Christian, you have experienced a different kind of love. God's kind of love. See, the world's kind of love is often, I love you because. Because of the way you look right now, because of the way you make me feel, because of what you do for me. That's why I love you. But what happens when those looks start to decay? I'm trying to be delicate. If you've got a better word, let me know. What happens when those feelings start to fade? When you begin to say, well, what have you done for me lately? See, God's kind of love isn't, I love you because, it's I love you in spite of. Right? Because we are not very lovable people. We have done some horrible, rebellious, sinful things against God, and He doesn't give up on us. He still loves us. He did the unthinkable and sent His Son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins. That's how much He loves you and me. And that's the kind of love described in Scripture, especially in that great passage, 1 Corinthians 13, which is often read at weddings. It wasn't written for that, but that's the way we should treat everybody. How much more so than in our home with the people closest to us. Love is patient. In fact, we should all read this out loud because you need to hear these words coming out of your own mouth. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's the kind of love that will keep you together. God's kind. This is a predetermined decision to love. To set your jaw and declare, we will let nothing short of death separate us. Period. Now notice, this is not a love based on how you feel. It's a love that you do. It is action. And so maybe you're familiar with uh, the popular book called The Five Love Languages by Christian author and counselor Gary Chapman. You know about these? Uh, The five love languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, uh, gift giving, spending quality time together, and physical touch. And ideally, we use all of those languages in our marriage, but you especially want to express love in a way that your mate understands it and receives it. I mean, when was the last time you asked your spouse about how can I show my love for you? Because maybe you're trying, but they're not getting it. Say, how do you most feel loved by me? What can I do this week, or what can I do differently to show you, to show you my love. And that leads to a third fundamental of Christian marriage, and that is good communication. That can be a major problem, right? And I, I always tell couples <laughs> before marriage, you know, they're sitting, sitting around the table, and after a few moments I say, you know what, hold on, I can tell right now up front, you are not compatible. And they get a very concerned look on their face. And I say, because you are a man and you are a woman, which is a good thing. But we don't always speak the same language, do we? And so communication is something you always have to work on. 
Again, I've been married a long time and I'm still not there. I'm still trying to figure out how to communicate better, how to listen more closely, how to uh, understand, you know, beyond the words and, and to choose my words carefully and to be able to compromise and be, have realistic expectations about how much we should speak to one another, how often we should speak to one another. So you're going to want to come back next week for part two as we talk about strong families uh, speak positively. I think we could all use that. So invite some others because we all need a little bit of help in expressing and controlling what comes out of our mouth, right? And then in two weeks on Mother's Day, we're going to talk about strong families provide an oasis. That's a good thing. And that's not just for mom. So make sure you get back here for that. But the root problem of all poor communication comes back to self. It really is selfishness. And if, if nothing else, marriage will work on your attitude of self-centeredness, right? Marriage is that sandpaper that, that works on taking off your rough edges of self-centeredness. That's what messes us up so much. Is we we want to be served instead of serving. We want to have our needs met instead of meeting needs. So still learning how to get there. I'm not, I'm not in a perfect marriage. I'm a flawed person. I'm not like Jesus yet but I'm wanting to become more like him. Assuming that my wife outlives me, I want her to be able to stand at my memorial and say, you know what? He did what he said he was going to do on our wedding day. And that's my prayer for you as well. Now, I know I'm not going to be able to address all the reasons for pushback today and say, Brett, you don't, wait a minute, come on, you didn't cover my situation. You don't understand what I'm going through. Especially, don't you think that I, God wants me to be happy? Don't I have a right to be happy? God has no objection to your happiness unless it comes at the expense of your holiness. Marriage isn't about making you happy all the time. It's about making you holy. And it's that sandpaper to rub off the rough edges of your character to help you to become a more godly loving person. Marriage will do that for you. And God is never going to approve of disobedience so that you can be happy. But she's not meeting my needs. You didn't enter marriage to have your needs met. You entered marriage to meet her needs. But he's not making me happy. You didn't enter marriage so he could make you happy. You entered marriage to make him happy. Okay? So, marriage means putting the needs of the other person ahead of your own. Now, I understand if only one person is doing this, it's not going to end very well. But if both of you have that attitude, you're going to have a happily ever after. I really do believe that. And I know that if only one of you is going to work on your marriage, it, it may not be possible to keep it together, especially if we're talking about abuse, if we're talking about uh, addiction or abandonment. I mean, you're at a whole other level of problem that I just can't get into right now, and you need to go beyond this message today and get some help. Whether that's getting some counseling, go ahead and do it. Get some counseling. But make sure it aligns with God's Word, because there's a whole bunch of counseling out there that'll mess you up and do, tell you the exact opposite things that you ought to do. What does God say? We got a website. Go to onlygodcanhelp.com. You can find some counselors. You can find some messages and other resources there. Read some good Christian books together on marriage or watch some videos on Right Now Media. you got an account, don't you? We give you a free account through our website. Go sign up and watch some videos together. My point is that the divorce should always be a last resort. And if you're not at that level, I want to encourage you not to give up. Keep at it. Keep coming for the next few weeks. 
Because God can help you keep your covenant vow and become a better spouse. He can renew your marriage. How? By renewing your heart. God's got to get a hold of your heart first. Yeah, but he needs to fix my husband. Maybe. He needs to, he needs to get a hold of my wife's heart. Sure he does. But you're not responsible for your spouse. You cannot change your spouse. You cannot fix your spouse. You are responsible for you. Become the best person, the best spouse that you can be. And would you let God deal with them? It begins with you. And all those statistics about half the marriages end in divorce, that's not true. When both partners are committed Christians who express committed love, practice the basic spiritual habits together, the divorce rate is way down for them. It really is. So, first things first, before you save your marriage, you might need to let Jesus save you. Have you invited him into your heart before you invite him into your home? Is his home in your, in your life first? Have you put your trust in him to save you, repented of your sins? Ask for forgiveness for all you've done. Let him cleanse you in the waters of baptism, not by the water, but internally, by his grace. You can experience all that today. Text us, email us, reach out to us. I'm going to have some friends down here in a few moments. Come talk to them. Ask your questions. Ask them to pray for you. They're here to help you, whatever your next step is. Get baptized today. Don't leave this place with, with not having done what needs to be done. Another way to respond right now is through communion. Every week we share in this time to refocus on it. what is most important. What's the center of our life? What's the core? And it's about Jesus. If you're not yet a believer, just use these next few quiet moments to think or pray or meditate. But if you came in as a believer, you, you picked up your communion kit, do that every week. It's got the bread and the cup. You peel back the covers. And after a quiet time, you just eat and drink to remember Christ's sacrifice. You proclaim your faith in the good news of Jesus, the gospel, and express your faithfulness to him because he has been faithful to us. Let's pray about that now. Uh, Lord God, thank you for sending Jesus to expressing how unbelievably deep and wide is your gracious love for us. We're so undeserving. But you have expressed your love very visibly, very tangibly through the cross. Um, we're reminded every time we eat and drink this communion of how awesome your love is. Now, God, would you let that love flow through our lives to others, beginning in our own home, with our spouses, with our kids, with our parents. Lord, I want to pray for all those who are going through struggles and difficulties. I know right now there, there are families that are going through arguments and they're going through times of bitterness and resentment. They're, they're, some are on the brink they're thinking of throwing in the towel. Some feel like it's already dead. It's just dead. But you are the God who specializes in resurrections. And I pray you, you bring these marriages back to life. That you fan into flame the love that they first experienced. You are our first love. You are our primary love. So God, whatever anybody is dealing with, struggling with, facing right now, Give them a love greater than they've ever experienced before, a commitment that's stronger than ever before because we are filled with your Holy Spirit. 
And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come down right now or share in communion.